Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Strength and Strength. Um, our purpose here at Strength and Strength is to advance Jesus' kingdom by tackling thought-provoking topics, by stimulating candid discussions, and by sharing faith-building testimonies. And uh, that last part, the faith-building testimonies part, I think is one of my favorite parts of Strength and Strength. We've had some really um, meaningful testimonies shared on here over the last, uh, well, eight months we've been recording. And even before that, when this call got started back over a year ago and before we were recording, Daniel, you even were on here um, earlier before this call was recorded, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so good to, good to have you back on here again, Daniel, and looking forward to uh, our time this morning. Um, yeah, last week we had uh, John, John D. Martin on here uh, talking about uh, the constitution of the kingdom and, and what a powerful talk. If you, if you haven't listened to that, definitely go back and listen to it. Um, a couple of things he said, uh, a quote or two from him, he said, too many times we try to preach the sermon without the demonstration. Make sure that we're, we are showing before we are telling. Uh, and then he kind of backed that up with uh, a quote from his, his late bishop there at, at Shippensburg, who said this, actions speak louder with words. Um, so that was just a couple of little quotes there from, from, from his, his talk. And, and that was, yeah powerful I've, I've listened to that message at least once uh, in the last week and and plan to revisit again i think um understand the sermon on the mount and understanding it as the our constitution so it's the way we we operate i think is so integral uh, to following jesus and daniel i know that you care deeply about this uh, i've been challenged but with your life here just getting to know you the last two years um, we would have met at Kingdom Fellowship Weekend, uh, well, soon two years ago. Uh, you came in there as, as a totally new person, um, kind of unsure what, what you were getting yourself into, and uh, it was a real real neat to meet you there. So looking forward to hearing about your journey and the way God is working in your life. Um, God is, is working in everyone's lives, in each one of our lives here today, and uh, his, his mercies are new again today, so it's... Uh, yeah, good to be good to be on here uh, with each one of you. Um, before we get started, uh, let's just bow our heads for prayer. <clears throat> our kind Heavenly Father, thank you that we can uh, be up here this beautiful morning. The birds are singing, the sun is coming up, and it's a it's a beautiful summer morning, Saturday morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather here together as brothers and sisters on this call and. And, um, and seek you and hear what, what you wanna, want us to hear today. Father, pray you bless Daniel uh, in a special way as he shares. Thank you for his commitment to truth. Thank you for the way he pers- has pursued you for years. And Father, I pray that you bless him in a special way as he shares you this morning. Help him to know um, what to share, what not to share. Father, uh, yeah, we haven't had much time to even talk about this this uh, talk here this morning, we're just kind of winging it, but Father, I, I know that you can you can guide Daniel's thoughts and and uh, he can share things that would challenge us to uh, continue to seek first your kingdom. And so, Father, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, Daniel uh, has a wife and five children. Um, and it's got to be with them. And actually, we're at her place here maybe three weeks ago. Um, his family was beautiful family. They have ad- adopted a daughter from China as well. So Daniel, um, this, the next uh, 40 minutes here is all yours. Uh, I'll try to lob some questions at you as we go along here. Um, but if you could just start kind of back um, back uh, in your childhood or however, wherever you want, however you want, kind of um, at where, where you were raised and, and what that was like and then kind of what led you to China. Um, yeah, it's, it's all yours. So you can kind of start where you want. Great. Well, good morning, everybody. And um, yeah, the, the, my childhood and my raising is probably a lot different than most of yours. Um, but I grew up in a pretty broken home and, uh, my dad was an alcoholic and because of that, my mom was often at work trying to make things work out financially. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I was, let's see, <clears throat> I, I was a bully. I, uh, in third grade, I got sent home or got, uh, sent to the principal's office because I made songs out of cuss words that definitely couldn't be repeated here. And, uh, I was known as the weird kid just cause I wore like in the winter swimming trunk bottom shorts that were like a white <laughs> color and dress. Yeah dress up sweaters on top and um my teachers would ask me if I dress myself and I would proudly said yeah and then one of them one day said well I can tell and um it was uh my brothers got into drugs early on and we got into crimes of breaking into houses and uh, robbing things and um I got a felony when I was 13 uh for throwing logs in the road and making cars crash on the highway to going through Atlanta highway 85. And, um, it was kind of my wake up call, my first wake up call. Um, I didn't have the greatest idea of right and wrong. And, um, I had just fought my way through life, literally uh, getting fights. And that's just how I related to people. And, uh, the after the felony i got community service at a church and i really didn't get the gospel any kind of message of god there um but i realized that i could have killed people and um that i could be in jail forever and something's wrong with my life because as i was doing those actions of uh throwing logs in the road making cars crash i didn't feel bad at all i didn't have any remorse at the time <clears throat> and then my football coach told us about Christ a little and then told us to go to the this thing called the Starlight Crusade where they preached a hellfire and brimstone kind of sermon. And um, I he it felt like he was talking about me when he was listing all the sins and, and how God created us. And I really didn't know at that moment God was real. He created us and he he wants to know me and I'm this garbage, you know, I'm like doing everything that he hates. Mm 
And, um, and, but he wanted to still know me and he wanted to forgive me. And so I went and gave my life to him and then they baptized me. Um, but I really couldn't read, uh, very well all the way through up to high school. And people ask me how, what, like, why did they keep passing you? And I think it's just a bad school system. It looks bad if they fail students or they keep moving you along. And then uh, when I got to high school, uh, before high school, in between, I start. I got my license and started going to church. And uh, and I hadn't really gone to church very much at this point because that church that uh, kind of led me on the starting the walk with the Lord didn't you know my parents didn't go to church a whole lot so uh they just kind of let me you know they didn't have any way to contact me I was a 13 year old so this is now I'm at 16 and um I go to church and they give me a bible and I they realize I really can't read it and I'm struggling and then they give me uh easier bible the NLT and then they realize I told them I can't really understand this either and then wow uh, I got a bunch of CDs, like I, I always say a hundred CDs. I really don't know how many it was, but it's old new Testament of CDs. And they basically said, read it and listen to it. And, and then there in that summer, I learned how to read fairly well. Amazing. God, God taught me and I would play Matthew and Mark and Luke and John when I was sleeping. And uh, I know that's weird and we probably don't get good sleep, but somehow I slept and, um, and then I carried my Bible everywhere and told everybody about God, uh, but I didn't get the non-resistance thing very well. Um, I went from being a bully to a bully of bullies. I thought, well, God would want me to <laughs> to beat up these kids who bully people. And so I still fought and I kicked people in the face, literally in the locker room. And um, <clears throat> because they were bullying other people, I thought, well, I can take it out on them. And so there's a lot of the kingdom and the teachings of Jesus that I didn't quite understand. And the church that I went to was a church that prided itself on obedience. And in the area we live, there's churches literally like, I guess everywhere in in the world, but more so in Atlanta, Georgia area, just a church, like every, every few, every minute down the road or less. And, We lived in between, I mean, our church was in between like three or four churches and those churches thought we were kind of cultish because of how much we put emphasis on obedience. But yet we had lots and lots of sin going on, lots of things that were condoned in that church. Um, Like an elder uh, who was already divorced, his kids were smoking weed. And I didn't know that till way later. And then he, he was, um, counseling this couple, uh, one of the, I don't want to say his name. One of the, the boy was going off to the army. He was 16 and he was wanting to get married to his girlfriend. So he was counseling them. And, and, um, after he, they got married, he went off to the army and then the elder started having an affair with this girl. And then when he got back from the army, they promptly got a divorce and then he divorced his second wife and then got remarried. And then now he's an elder of another church. Well, I think he is was last time I, so, and that was a pretty obedient church in our area. Um, 
in our minds. So the, I know that there's, once you get into the Anabaptist realm, it's, um, the, those kind of stories are unbelievable. And, um, but so it's a really good thing that they're unbelievable, but they're the so-called church is really like that. And that, and you, when you're a baby Christian, you read the Bible and you think, Oh, we need to do this and not do this. And then over time, people just tell you, well, you don't, you don't really have to do this. And yeah, works are not, you know, if you think works can please the Lord, you're going to go to hell. And, and then just mm-hmm. like minimize all the teachings of Jesus. And, um, and it's not, it's not like, uh, it's constant. They, they will, there's a lot of obedience and there's a lot of good things and God's moving in Protestant and evangelical churches, but um, it's like Satan's allowed in and, and Jesus is outside knocking. And there's a few, a remnant of Christians there uh, who are totally about following God. And they're trying to, uh, a lot of times it's the pastors or whatever. So there's hope in, in those circles, but it's diminishing um, almost gone. And anyway, so I went to Bible college Hey, Daniel. Yep. A couple questions for you there just before we move on to that. Um, yeah. So two questions. Were, were your parents religious? Were they, were they, were they professed to be Christians? How was that? Uh, and then also, uh, in thinking about your, your journey to Christ there, um, what instigated that? So, And you, you might have alluded to it, maybe even said it, and I just missed it, but like what, what, what took you to that revival service or whatever where you became christian like you kind of talk about that a little bit yeah so my mom was very religious um my dad uh kind of told my mom he was christian to to marry her and then didn't really wasn't really he just was saying that and um so my mom did want to go to church often uh we didn't very often or we went to um, a church that I remember, it seemed like most of the meetings were about finances or something. I don't, I, as a kid, I didn't really quite understand what church was. <clears throat> and um, my mom really pushed purity. Uh, and she, <clears throat> so thankfully, because of that, I knew that once I, I, I had never had a sexual relationship. And when I was 13, uh, and I finally gave myself to the Lord. I knew that was one thing I was supposed to not do was just to be, have one, one wife. And so, um, and I knew the drugs were wrong. So God kind of spared me from those things, but yeah, the way I, I had done all these really bad things, I was on the road to go into prison. And then when, uh, it was just the, the football coaches were telling us about God and then that, it led us to that starlight crusade thing where um, they preached a very scary message, but a very, a message saying that it doesn't have to be scary. And during that, they told me that before they baptized me, that uh, it doesn't really matter how I live, that this is, you're going to be saved once saved and always saved and never have to worry about it. And you're assured of your salvation. Um. (laughs) And, but that didn't make sense to me after the message that I just heard. It didn't, um, but 
Yeah. What was the rest of the question? You, said? Then, no, you got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, anyway, that I, there was, I couldn't put my Bible down and I took it everywhere I went. And I was kind of odd that way at this point, I had become normal in a lot of ways, um, because of the Bible and the church. Um, and, uh, I just told everybody about God that I met. And then a lot of people, and when I say led to the Lord the whole time, when I, it was a different understanding than what I have today of what, um, I do hope that everybody that I helped find God in some way is still on a journey and finds the narrow road and lives the life that Christ wants them to live. But I had led a bunch of people to Christ at public supermarkets. And uh, some of them had went to um, Johnson Bible College before me. And so I felt like that would be a great place for me to go. It's now Johnson University. And during that time, um, it, it's uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but God called me to China. Mm. And uh, it was very obvious that it was God telling me to go. And I... Um, when I hadn't, didn't really know anything about China, I just knew that everybody knew ping pong kung fu and everybody was really short and starving because my parents always told me they're starving kids in China. And and I got over there and none of that was true except the ping pong thing. Nobody knew kung fu. Everybody was tall and nobody was starving. And um, <laughs> so, uh, and I thought I was kind of going to a rural place and it was a very, very modern, big, huge cities. Um, and my wife followed me over there and, uh, I, I honestly believe that God took me there for the purpose of, of finding him to continue to really figure out what the truth was. Um, at first we were having all these Bible studies and, uh, the same way that I said led to the Lord, lots of people were led to the Lord. I don't know their walk with Christ now, um, but the during that time, I the, our organization told us we need to not be so bold. And as I was reading the Bible, it seemed like all the early Christians were very bold. And they were like, well, you have too many people and you're meeting in your house. You need to make it small. And then they took us to this training in Cambodia where they basically said that what we had been doing, we need to completely stop. And we need to basically stop reading the Bible and just memorize these few stories and just tell these stories over and over. And so we went back and we tried it for a year and had absolutely no fruit. And, um, and we, we had like 30 and 40 people come into our house uh, multiple times a week before then. And then we had zero people coming because we told them our organization doesn't want you coming. And, um, and, a lot of the missionaries over there lived on fear. Um, mm. And we, at my, one of my professors uh, wrote me a letter when he came over and saw that I started living in fear. And he basically put it to me and said, you need to not be like this. You need to um, live this out and do what you're supposed to do. And so we started being bold again, but we wanted to not do it alone. And so I found this Baptist guy who was really, really bold. And, uh, and I didn't know a whole lot about the Baptist, but then I, we started a church together. And as we started it, I realized 
Um, almost all of my beliefs were very different from his. And uh, he almost, it really did seem like almost every Sunday when he preached, he was condemning me to hell because of my beliefs. And he would say, like, if you believe baptism does anything or has anything to do with salvation or washing away the sins, you're going to hell. And if you believe that works, you know, he would just go on to all kinds of things. Of, and I would go home and I wouldn't sleep. And my wife can testify to this. And I would just say, why are we here? What are we doing? And, but it, God just kept making it feel, it felt like we were compelled to stay there. We had to stay there. And so he had raised the, up these pastors and I would train them uh, one day. And then the next day he would train them and we were kind of back and forth and I would just read the Bible with them and try to get a good foundation. And then this other guy, this Baptist guy would uh, read something called the firm foundations, a book that he made. And um, they would often say like, well, why do you, uh, what you're saying, what he's saying is very different. They're, they're contrary. And I would often just say, well, I'm reading the Bible and he's reading his book. So it's up to you to figure that out. But then I realized over time that he had a lot of things, right? Like he would challenge me on all these subjects and I would go home and I wouldn't be satisfied until I figured out why I believed what I believed. And then I realized by just searching deeply, like, um, things about women speaking in church, I, I would have believed before then that women can preach and teach. And, and I was completely wrong about that. But then I realized some of the things that I, I was right about. And then it made me really afraid to teach at that point um, because I didn't know what I was right and wrong about because every subject I hadn't really dug really deep and tried to figure out where the, where it came from, what the truth was. And so we started a second church plant. This is maybe after three or four years at the first church plant. And uh, um, we, I would walk down the street about, it was 40,000 steps because on the way to my job, which I was an English teacher and I would just meet people on the way and I would talk to people every day on the way and the way back. And I built all these relationships and I would just invite them over to eat. And then we would start Bible studies with them. And then as the Bible studies grew, they, we, I would just, we would just read the Bible and read one book. I don't know if you've heard of David Pawson, but he said it's the, one of the best practices is to pick a book of the Bible and read it all in one sitting. Interesting. And so we would do that as a church. We had, and we started with Luke and we read Luke all the way through uh, one evening and started at six and we ended like at one o'clock. And then the ladies that were there uh, were like, we want to read Matthew now. And I was like, okay, well next week they're like, no, we want to read it now. And I was like, no, it's really late. I have work in the morning, but they wanted to know the word of God. And, and mm. we would just ask questions like, how do we live this out? And what do we do with how, um, what do we, how do we obey God? How do we do these things? Whatever it was, whatever the chapter and the, the, whatever the book was. And we went through Philippians and it was the next book we went through and we went through it many times. And then they started taking very serious. Like we don't complain about anything and we don't argue about anything. And we think of what is good. And, and when people would complain, at least at first, when people would complain or argue, they would be like, no, we can't do that. We're Christians. We don't do that. And, um, and they, they just started taking everything very literal. And I was 
often had a feeling to tell them where they were wrong, but at the time I wasn't even sure if I was right. So I didn't. And, um, except one time after we read the book of Corinthians, uh, two ladies came up and said, should we be wearing head coverings? And I said, no, because of the prostitutes and because of the long hairs, the covering and all the things that I learned in college. And then I always say the next day, but this it's how it is in my mind. And it very well could have been the next day, but it might've been a few days later, but it was in short order. My wife came out of the room and said, uh, should I be wearing a head covering? And I was like, okay, this hit me twice really fast. I just read the scripture. And when I was reading the scriptures with those Chinese ladies, they were like, it doesn't make any sense that it's the hair because it says that if you don't wear it cut off, you know, it's better to have your head shorn or whatever. And I was like, um, I didn't know what to do with it. And then that, and then my wife said the same thing. And I said, let me read about it. Then eventually I just told her, you do whatever you, you feel. If God's leading you to do it, you do it. And she came out with the head covering on. And a few days later I asked her, why are you wearing a head covering? And she said, um, because I want to honor my head and I want to honor you. And I, it really touched me and affected me deeply. And, uh, so then I started studying about the head covering. There's a lot more to this. We had been uh, studying lots of different things and just realizing that um, it seems like Christianity is very different than we ever thought, but we started looking very different and being very different from the other missionaries and didn't quite see eye to eye anymore. Although we can work together, uh, we didn't see eye to eye. And um, then, but we started to feel like, well, maybe we're starting something that's not true. Maybe all this other stuff is true and maybe we just got it wrong. So I started looking up head covering things and I found David Berceau's book on it. I mean, David, yeah, David Berceau. And then I uh, found the followers of the way in the kingdom fellowship weekend videos. And it was like such a refreshing thing because everything they, you guys taught at kingdom fellowship and what everything at the followers of the way and all the different things that I found is what we were, what, how we saw the Bible. And then we saw this, uh, mm. um, the, the, my YouTube told me, put the debate on just war debate up. Okay. <laughs> Watch the just war debate. And it just made so much sense. I was just like, Interesting. this is what the Bible actually says. We're supposed to be people of peace and we're not supposed to be at war. We're supposed to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. And, uh, yeah, so the, then we just started, we realized that there were Christians who just ob- obeyed the Bible simply and didn't have a complicated interpretation of the Bible. And it was really exciting, but it was kind of scary because, um, we didn't really know anybody and, uh, jumping forward a few years, uh, the police kind of, the police beat the pastors that we were over there that we had trained and, um, they had come to the door of the church with my, I was there with my daughter, but they didn't know we were there and we were able to get out. And then we were told to leave by a bunch of missionaries and so that they didn't get in trouble. And so we decided that it was best if we flee. And then uh, we always plan to go back to China, but because of COVID and other things, we're not gonna, at least for now. And, um, but anyway, as we left, we got to the States and it reverse culture shock was huge. And the, the differences in the church, how much we had changed in our 
practice of uh, following Christ really made it a huge contrast in church. There was just um, huge differences within the churches we were going to. And I'm not going to go into that, but the churches were teaching really awful things. And my wife realized it pretty shortly and we realized we had to move. And um, so we, we will not move at this time. We, we first looked for Mennonite churches in the area. And the first Mennonite church we went to, the lady had really short hair and jewelry. All the ladies did and immodest dress, not real immodest, but not real um, modest either. And, uh, and my wife was the most modest. And after the Bible study that at the beginning, I guess it was Sunday school, the lady, one of the ladies stood up and shook my hand and said, I'm the head elder. And I was just really confused. And then the next church was a brethren in Christ church that said that they're Anabaptist and they were preaching about homosexuality being okay. And even in the pulpit. Um, and then we, we were like, okay, are these churches really like this? Like where, where are these Anabaptist churches that we've been watching online? And eventually I got a hold of Matthew Miliani and I told him we were planning to go to the kingdom fellowship weekend, but we really wanted to move out to Boston. And, um, because we didn't know of any other, there wasn't a whole lot of online presence of these churches. And so we knew there was one in Boston. So that's where we we're going to go. And then we figured out how much it costs. And it was like, Whoa, we can't afford that. Or we're in a camper and we're having a hard time at the time affording this camper. And so Matthew just told us to go to the kingdom fellowship weekend and fill it out and see what, see what it's like. And then um, when we're at the kingdom fellowship weekend, when we first got there, we called Marvin Dolly and uh, said, my wife doesn't have any head coverings like you guys wear and our dresses don't look anything like your dresses. And Marvin's like, no, you come anyway, just be how you are. And we were really nervous about it. And um, when we got there, Marvin could tell we were nervous and he said, I have someone you have to meet. And he brought me over to Patrick Matthews. And at the time he had jeans <laughs> and an untucked shirt and, some tattoos and it made me And they were, I could tell that they were just buddies. And I was like, okay, that he's he, obviously Patrick came out of the world and is now a Christian in these circles, but, and there that, you know, he doesn't completely look at, at, at that moment, you know, he's very much so a part of the Anabaptist groups, but, uh, he didn't look like I had thought. So it brought our uh, nervous level way down. And then Patrick was huge. He just like let helped us meet all kinds of people. Otherwise we would have just probably not met a whole lot of people. He just like, Oh, I got you. You got to meet this guy and you got to meet this guy and tell him your story. <laughs> one, of, one of Patrick's gifts. Yeah, very much so. And um, then uh, we met Kevin, who's my, our head elder out of our, at our church and his family. And then we were invited over to Chambersburg and uh, that's the long, I mean the, a short version of the story, but then we decided we were going to move up here. Um, my wife called me when we're at the kingdom fellowship weekend and she was in the trailer and she sounded distraught and she's not, doesn't get really emotional very often. And I was like, Oh no, something weird happened. You know, this is very, extreme compared to our circles, even though we feel like we're kind of extreme sometimes. And so I got to the camper and I thought, 
she was going to say, let's get out of here. And she said the exact opposite. She said, we need to move up here. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and, uh, okay. and she's not the head, but I, I knew that I needed her to be behind moving up here, not like against it. And so it's such a relief. Um, and so we went back home and told everybody, Hey, we're going to be moving up to Pennsylvania and they didn't quite get it, but um, I think they do now. So mm. what other questions you got, Brian? Sure. Through there. Uh, yeah. Ton, ton of questions. Um, well, wow. Where, where do we start? Maybe just a couple of things on, on your, that I learned about, you know, your time in China. Maybe we'll kind of look at that for a little bit and kind of jump forward. Um, I understood that you, you were, you, you had to do like language learning for like four years. Like you, you, you know, Mandarin Chinese really well, right? Was that, that yeah. was, yeah, I had two years in the States and I actually, okay. I had three and a half to four years in, in China of language school. Sure. Um, and then your church that you talk about, like, um, that's a, that's a, that's a whole story of his own, like your church building where you guys met, I understood. I think it was like on a second floor and you had the windows are all closed in and soundproofing and everything. Cause it was all about, you know, keeping a really low key presence so there. We had bought the bought rented this place in a Valley that, uh, most businesses didn't want because it was off the beaten path. Um, but it was on the first and second floor. Um, and it was quite big. I don't remember the square footage, but the first floor you can see through the windows, but we always kept it looking like it was under construction. So when you look in, it looks like a kind of abandoned building under construction, although past the first little lobby, I say we always kept it that way. It was that way often. Uh, eventually as more and more people came a part of uh, the ladies ended up making it look a lot nicer in the front, but, but it was still, you could barely see into it. You can only see like 10 foot into it and then it became classrooms. And so we had Sunday school downstairs, but upstairs we had uh, three and four layer thick and soundproof insulation on all the walls. <laughs> um, we did a lot more evangelical type scenes, uh, you know, speakers and, uh, guitar and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend that now, now that I've learned a lot more about that, but that's just how I knew music. That's what, right. we're so, um, and, uh, we just made it, the, w the windows were completely blocked off with those four layers. So you couldn't see in. And that's why when the police were there that day, they, I think someone had reported that I went in the building and then they came up and knocked on the window and uh, two men and they kept knocking hard over and over. And um, I knew all the, Oh yeah, the management there. And I, I, I'd never seen these, these guys. And I knew that they weren't just uh, someone in that, that area, they were out to get someone. And so we, my daughter and I were upstairs and I can see right through a little crack in the window, like the two men, and I kept telling my daughter, you got to be really quiet. I think she might've been five at the time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, even though the lights were on upstairs, I knew they couldn't see it because the windows were block blacked out because of the, I mean, there's a wall built in front of them. And so um, we just had to s sit there for a while. And a few hours later uh, we 
I had a remote start on the Honda Fit we had. And I started the car and I said, I told my daughter, I'm going to pick you up on the run. We're going to get in this car. You're not going to worry about getting in your car seat and we're just going to go. Uh, and we just took off out of there. But yeah, the, the church we had set up, the building, not the church, um, we had set up very uh, to where nobody would know. You know, we made it, we tried to make it where people would come in at different times. You wouldn't all get there at once. And we made it flexible. We did have a starting time, but people just strolled in. It wasn't like everybody showed up and left at once um, so that we were less. It, it That's how it was at first. Later, I don't know if we didn't really talk about it. It just, I think people knew that that's what we should do. So they just did mm. it. Um, but yeah, it's the, the church now in China, the one that we have, I don't know how it's going. I do talk to one of the pastor, the elders of the church there, but we rarely talk about spiritual things because he's already been blacklisted. He's already he's watched by the police. And I, you know, so I can't really just ask him whatever. And even speaking in code is like, um, you you really don't get the whole stories of stuff. You just, right. Um, yeah. So, for the most part, it, it's not, they've broken up into many little groups and it, I don't, I don't know how healthy it is. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so what would you say, you know, so we have our, our congregation here interacts with a lot of Chinese here with Penn state university. Um, as, as they go back to China, you know, they might come here secular, go back, you know, with a desire to follow Christ, um, even some as believers, um, what would you say to them? Like what, what kind of, how, yeah. What, what words of of wisdom would you have for for those kind of folks? Um, well, I definitely would tell them not to go to the government church, um, Mm -hmm. government church, they can't preach the resurrection of Christ or salvation uh, or the book of revelations. Um, Okay. And they're not allowed. They have to basically say that they're not going to go tell anybody about Jesus and they can't invite people to church. And uh, although they do, but they, they have a lot of rules and things they have to sign. And uh, they rotate pastors every few months and half of them are government uh, people that aren't even Christians and they just are teaching the communist thing and they're making their own Bible right now. I don't know if it's come to flourishion or not Right, where they're adding communist and communism and Buddhist stuff and Marxist stuff into the Bible. So I would Mm -hmm. definitely find house churches. um, And if they're from the Anabaptist kind of background, they're just going to have to uh, either find a church that they can submit to and then try to help them see some truths that Protestants have neglected when they went in and preached the gospel. Um, mm. There's a mixed bag. Like every, there's all these denominations, but they don't even know it uh, that much. Um, there's whenever we started the church with the Baptist guy, his supporters told him they must call it Jinxin Jiaohui, which is the Baptist church. And because there's not a whole lot of mention of denominations there. Um, thankfully, a lot of people thought it, not thankfully, they thought it was a cult, but thankfully because of that, they thought, well, Jinxin Jiaohui, is that some kind of church? Cause we should just be the church. 
<coughs> they only had the idea of church and then the government church and then Catholic church. Um, but there's so many, like you, you talk to this Christian, this Christian, this Christian, they've had so many different missionaries from so many different types of churches. It's quite confusing. So um, I would just suggest find a stable church and read your, read the word with them every day and uh, find people, elders you can submit to and get ready to be punished. I mean, don't, don't go thinking that you're just going to, I mean, it's very possible you can be a Christian and not get arrested and not get blacklisted, but you need to go, mm. go back knowing that that's very possible. Or sure. like, <clears throat> wow. That's, that's a sobering. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So let's, let's, let's come back to this, this side of the pond and, and your, your journey the last two years here stateside. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it uh, just interesting talking with you, Daniel, how, how it looks really big, kind of scary um, to, to come to Kingdom Fellowship weekend. And, you know, you'd watch the videos and it, it looked, looked pretty, um, yeah, rigid. You know, it looked, looked, looked big for you all to come there when, when you showed up. I, and I was just amazed at how, you know, you all uh, felt like you fit right in. Uh, so I'm just thinking about, you know, for other seekers, you know, who are, who are, you would love to come to one of our churches or events. Um, yeah. How do we, how can we make those kind of folks feel welcome? Well, it honestly felt like heaven on earth uh, to find so many people uh, sold completely sold out for Christ. Like it was hard to be in a conversation. You would have to work at a conversation that wasn't something about God or the Bible or church or, um, you know, it was just so amazing. Um, but for people who are seekers, definitely don't, uh, be afraid if, if you're watching this, I just go. But for us, I do think that, um, I don't know for the Anabaptist in, in general, when I read history of it, which I haven't read a whole lot, it seems like they were very, very bold. And a lot of times their persecution came from that, um, and I think the reason that Anabaptists aren't well known now is because they're not bold in the sense of, I think we're bold amongst our own groups. I don't think that's a problem, but okay. we're not bold out in the world, like making, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know it's going to sound weird. I'm not saying we should go make people feel uncomfortable, but I'm talking to myself too. I don't know how, um, but I do know that we need to make a presence because I didn't even know anything I went to Bible college and had Bible history, church history. And I, and I know it's the church, the Bible college's fault, but I didn't have any, I didn't hear anything about Anabaptists or the first 300 years of Christianity, historic faith and, okay. um, and church history is all like, anyway, so I think we need to make a presence known and that seekers for seekers, uh, don't be afraid and just be, be willing to, submit to the king and everything and you'll fit right into anabaptist churches um i mean that's my thought sure. yeah well, one of the questions i was going to have for you is what challenges do you have for us all right as, as anabaptists maybe specifically the this uh, western ethnic anabaptists yeah um you know, yeah so you know you you said uh where maybe become the kind of the quiet in the land. 
Um, yeah. So th thank you for that challenge. I'm de definitely would love to, if you have anything more, any more, any more challenges along that line, lay it, well, lay it out clear, brother. The online uh, presence is huge. I think oh, online, it could get, gotcha. Online. Yeah. Well, just being online, like Shippensburg started there, started posting their messages online. And I think a lot, a lot more are posting videos and, I think that's going to be huge to getting the kingdom message out. I mean, letting people know when they're looking up, like who believes that all of Jesus teachings are for today. Like whenever someone who's a seeker starts believing that way mm -hmm. and then they're in a place where nobody believes that way. Well, they say they do, but then they make exceptions for all of the things Jesus says. Um, or I shouldn't say all the vast majority. Um, when whenever somehow we need to be present to where people can easily find us that we're not just um in the i mean we could be in farmlands but with technology there's no need we need to invite people in invite people to leave their kingdom the kingdom of the world and join the kingdom of god <laughs> and be ready to take on people who have uh worldly some worldly appearance and uh, mm. that have need to have lots of changes happen in their life. Um, and, you know, it'll be hard. And I know that a lot of Anabaptists are worried about their churches going off into the world. Um, but we have to be willing to live and, and even be willing to possibly lose some people to the world to reach the world. I know that's, maybe sounds terrible, but, um, but I think that the Anabaptists as a whole are their practice and the way, I mean, the ones that I've known, I don't, I know that there's so many different forms. One thing that I would suggest is all of us be united. I think this kind of platform, uh, no matter if it's, there's groups that only drive one color car or have this kind of head covering or, do this specific thing or don't have smartphones or our horse and buggy. I feel like that all Anabaptists everywhere should show the unity that Jesus cried for. And, and I mean, sweated floor in the garden. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and Satan wants to attack that at every angle and that we, uh, because of our love for each other, people, it says the world will know who are Christians. Um, and our, our unity is a huge sign of a huge way to evangelize. So just being a bigger presence, being a city on a hill, um, to be bold. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how the early Anabaptists were. I know they were bold enough to get martyred left and right. Um, yeah, that's all I have is just, uh, but the way we, the way people follow Jesus, otherwise, I think that there's not a whole lot that needs to be changed just unity um i mean all right i, I, I really yeah. I really appreciate that brother uh thank you for that challenge you know yeah there's obviously obviously differences within the anabaptist world especially the conservative the conservative anabaptist world um but why build up walls right like yeah. we have so much in common and and working together and trying to Pull those walls down. I, I agree with you. Thank you for that challenge. Um, and we need people like you, Daniel, to challenge us uh, to um, 
call us out, to inspire us to, yeah. Uh, so, so don't, don't step away from your prophetic voice there. Keep, keep sharing. And um, yeah, really appreciate that. So I'll be opening up for questions here uh, to the rest of you all here right shortly. But coming back, uh, Daniel, thinking about, so one of the realities of advancing the kingdom is engaging with the word of God and with seekers and having Bible studies. And there's very few Anabaptists who sadly, very few of us who have really have done Bible study with unchurched people. It's, it's just something that we haven't done much of. Um, and I'm excited to see that changing, to see people getting out, to see uh, churches being, us moving into urban centers and engaging the world. That's really exciting. But I know that you've done lots of Bible studies. Um, do you have, you know, what, what uh, methods or, yeah, what, you, you have any thoughts along that line of, of how we can look at it, how we can study the word of God with, with a seeker? Uh, what, what, what have you learned in that area? Yeah, the, I forget what the method is called that we used. Um, I just had this printout. It's quite simple. And it just had a bunch of questions mm-hmm. on it, like, and you're, the idea of the method that we kind of adopted, we've made it our own, was to, um, their idea was to read just like a few verses and ask these questions. But we just read a whole book. And I know that in the American world with media and the distractions of the world, it might not be very easy to do something like that. But was you read a big section and then you just ask, what does this say about God? What does this say about man? Mm. Uh, how do we obey this? What do we need to change? And now you'd ask this to non-believers and somehow and believers, but somehow this would um, make them start to practice it. You know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like part of their belief was just doing it without even saying, I believe at first it was just like, okay, well, I need to not do this and I need to do this and I need to, so whatever, whatever the passage was, but one thing that's difficult in the States and I haven't done it myself, so I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't be saying it like John D. Martin said, but is before in China, I would, it was, you had everybody looking at you, staring at you all the time. So you can go make conversation it was so easy to make conversation mm-hmm. to see them and you're like hey how are you and then they ask you a bunch of questions like where are you from and uh and then you just it was easy to meet everybody and talk to everybody and uh so here it's a little diff- different but first we have to bump shoulders with people we have to rub shoulders and we have to find some kind of com- commonality and uh be invite people to our houses and let them see how we live and how our children, our children are huge, I think, to helping people see that there's something different. And then uh, just boldly speak spiritually. I mean, although there's, there's this, it's, I think it's very difficult in America with how much Christianity has been pushed, especially in error in the wrong way uh, to build these. But when people can see that you're living it in every way that you know how, then I think it becomes a lot more evident and they, they want to listen. They want to hear it, but basically bump shoulders with people and invite them over 
and don't start off with a Bible study, but have a meal with people and then, then invite them to it. Say, Hey, we, we love to study the word of God. And, and one thing is that I found out is uh, devotions. Um, when you have family devotions every evening, if you have a guest over and it's getting close to devotion time, you say, Hey, do you mind if we have our little family devotion? You join us. We're just going to read a little bit and sing some songs and, um, and just use opportunities like that. But you have to get people in, in our houses, I think. I mean, that's my opinion. It's just be hospitable. Interesting. Yeah. Sure. Hey, I had a stranger walk up my door here and yeah. he bounce out and talk to him. Um, so, Glenn, I'll let you kind of manage you here. But, yeah, whip it for questions for, uh, for Daniel. Yeah, so thank you, Daniel, for sharing. That's been, uh, been a real blessing. So, um, as Brian had said, we're going to be opening it up for for questions. So um, does anyone have a question that you're ready to go ahead with uh, right now for Brother Daniel? So there's uh, one question that came in through the chat. Uh, we could start with that. And it says, I heard you say before about Christ's teaching of seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. How did this teaching influence your economic choice, your economic choices and lifestyle? Uh, yeah. So it's still influencing them. Um, we, uh, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, um, when we, when we first got off the field, I'm going to go back to China for a second. Uh, we got off the field and we were living at my in-law's house and we had some supporters that were supporting us over there, drop us. And I was also making a uh, wage over there. I was making a thousand dollars a month in China as a teacher. So we lost that. And we lost our cars and our house that we had over there. Well, we, we kept our house. We, I, we gave the cars to the two pastors. And then um, well, eventually we were able to sell our house in China. But at the time, we didn't really have a whole lot of money. And we were under the mercy of, um, of our in-laws. And we, if we needed to go somewhere or get groceries and whatever. And we had four children and... Um, not long after my wife was pregnant, but that when we at, at my in-laws house, when we decided that we needed to go around and raise more support to go back to China and to find a church that we could submit to, uh, we had to get a loan. Uh, we had to, we got a car loan and a camper loan. And, and then we lost the vast majority of our support. We, and we thought we had enough to pay for the camper and the car. And um, then we, we lost a thousand dollars a month in support, which made it where we couldn't then pay for our payments. And so I looked at my wife and I said, well, he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so uh, if this, if we're really doing what God wants, he's going to figure it out. So we just, uh, the very first month we would normally get that thousand dollars that we needed to pay for the camper and the car. Um, the, I, I don't know if this is the right order, but I'm just going to say it in this order. Um, we got a check from, we got an email and a check from the, uh, adoption organization saying that we paid a thousand dollars over for the adoption of our child. And, uh, we were like, it was just so amazing. And then, the next time we were at a church who didn't really agree with what we were saying and nobody sat with us at the fellowship meal afterwards. And the pastor had a, uh, well, I won't, I won't say too much about that because 
you know, uh, but anyway, it was a very evangelical church. Uh, once saved, always saved, easy believism, uh, obedience may get you thrown in hell kind of place. And after I preached a very opposite message, we went to the fellowship room, fellowship hall, and only one guy sat with us and nobody else would talk, really talk to us. They, and, um, at the very end, he's, he said, every church in America needs to hear this message. And he slid a check to us and it was a thousand dollars. And then we went to another church and it just kept happening. Uh, like the exact amount of a thousand dollars, almost exactly when we needed it um, or right before we needed it uh, came in so that we could pay the camper and the car fee. And then we got up to Roxbury campgrounds and when we decided to move here I then was like well I need a job and I walk outside uh, wondering where I'm going to get a job and then uh, two men were talking about how Roxbury campgrounds needs to hire someone and I was like hey you need to hire someone and I got a job like instantly without even going going anywhere so um, seeking first his kingdom he'll he'll take care of the finances and now I'm bloated with, in the sense of, I have a lot of, I feel like comparatively, we have a lot of finances. We have a home now and we have a car paid for. And now we need to um, make more sacrifice. Um, so I think maybe that's what you're talking about is, so now we're on the opposite end and we have to figure out all different ways to give and to be blessings to others and um, not just accumulate. And um, uh, does that answer your question, Earl? Or any other questions? Yeah, thank you for that uh, response there. I don't think Earl is uh, available to, to respond here at the moment. All right, anybody else have a question here for Brother Daniel? Yeah, I have a question, uh, Daniel. Thank you for your story. I really uh, enjoy and on Anabaptist perspectives uh, and here. Um, I'm I'm curious, uh, like right now, uh, your life, uh, you know, with uh, uh, in, in your church and and in the broader uh, Anabaptist world, like how you uh, like. The biblical, there's uh, many biblical uh, truths that are being, that are practiced, right? But uh, other traditional things uh, that, uh, that Anabaptist uh, uh, people have uh, just kind of uh, ways of doing things or uh, certain uh, mentalities, maybe. Um, how do you, uh, how do you feel like you fit in? Now, can you uh, can you fit in or um, I, I guess I'm curious to, to how 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 you uh, being now a part of uh, an Anabaptist church or uh, within uh, among Anabaptist people? How do you feel like you fit in uh, culturally, I guess? Yeah, at, at first it was um, hard to understand. But the more I talk to people and to see where their traditions came from and why they hold to them, 
uh, they completely make sense. I mean, not completely. There's some that uh, maybe should be loosed or whatever, but the should be changed. Maybe I'm not, I'm talking about in the broad scheme, there's some, some reason like certain dress, maybe back in the day they chose it. Anabaptist chose that dress because it was cheap and it was plain, but now that same dress might be really expensive. Um, and so the reason they originally made it something that they wore as a group uh, was because it was plain and cheap, but now it's the exact opposite. It's something very special and tailored and expensive. And so that kind of thing, I don't re- quite understand. But when I realized that there's a history of Christian uh, children or families who have children and the, the percentage of children who stay in the faith is so high and, um, that a lot of that has to do with the traditions that the Anabaptists have. It's very easy for me to embrace a lot of those traditions. And um, I do believe that it's kind of a wall to the world, but we are called to be separate from the world and we're called to be different. And we're not supposed to change our culture because of the the culture around us, that we should be the culture that the Bible gives us. And, um, it's a very exciting place to be in the Anabaptist group and how I fit in. I don't know. I feel like I fit in just fine. I bet I feel Anabaptists look at me very funny because I don't know my <laughs> nuances that come from the world, but from outside coming in, I've, I am very happy with the traditions for the most part. And I feel like they're easy to embrace. Um, and I'm also in a group that, I mean, I even question, like, we, we use the internet and we have uh, a ministry online. And, but then I hear someone struggling with internet usage in certain ways. And, and it makes me wonder, well, should we be, should we maybe just go to flip phones, you know? So like, it's something that every individual church has to, figure these things out. They have to figure out what's going on with their people and how we can continue to defeat sin and live in the Holy spirit and uh, be what God wants us to be as a people, a righteous nation, a holy priesthood. And if there's something that's keeping us from that, we do need to cut off a right hand and and pluck out our eye, maybe get rid of internet or uh, maybe change our lifestyle or, uh, sell our house. I, I don't know it. I think it's going to look different for every everybody in every group. Um, but I have a high appreciation for the brotherhood. And I now understand all the different traditions are coming from brotherhood decisions. It's like a bunch of godly men trying to uh, raise families who worship God and serve the Lord and obey him and make a lot of decisions that sometimes end up to be long-term traditions. Uh, but in the long run, it's it's proven to keep a lot more people in the faith percentage wise than any of the Protestant and evangelical churches. So I can't throw any of it out. I can't. We have to we have to figure out um, how to be relevant in the sense not change to where the world can accept us, but be approachable, be such gentle people and people peaceable people that. Um, people when they see us coming they know hey this is going to be uh 
a joyous conversation. There's not going to be this, you know, complaining and arguing and talk about politics and the world's crumbling around us. It's just going to be, you know, I don't know exactly, but um, I feel like I fit in. I don't, I'm probably look funny uh, from the insiders because I don't know my nuances or whatever, you know, you have a foreigner that moves straight from let's say Africa tribal place and they may think they fit in, but they still have all these cultural things that they grew up with and they don't know it. So um, that, that that's my answer, I guess. Daniel as well. Go ahead, Patrick. What was that? Fits in just well. <laughs> Sorry for last laughing, Daniel, a little earlier there when you said you're not sure if you fit in. Um, boy, we need uh, we we need a lot more people that don't fit in. So, um, but I, I I laugh because I feel like you you're 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 um, you have so many gifts and your 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 church is using you in so many ways, and it's so exciting to see that. And uh, I feel like from my perspective. Chambersburg has accepted you very well, um, but uh, but we uh, there, I can understand why you would ask yourself that question, and hopefully we can turn that around and um, where there's more diversity within our congregations. So, but yeah, a question came in here. Thank you, Paul, for that question. By the way, um, I, I really appreciated your answer, Daniel. Pat, uh, someone said, "Hey, maybe we should have Patrick talk about um, how he made Daniel feel welcome." Um, so Patrick, I know you care a lot about this subject here. So tell us how you, how you went about approaching Daniel there at KFW. So. I know that when, hold on, I'm changing a view. I can't, um, <laughs> uh, the view looks good from here. Yeah. Anyway, um, how do you make anybody welcome? It's not, it, it I don't know. I just care. I, I, I believe that. Everybody that was at Kingdom Fellowship Weekend is looking for something, and and they just, I don't know. It's just a, a spirit of hospitality. I think wow. you can ask Daniel. I carry myself in such a way in Chambersburg, in State College, in Massachusetts, to make everybody my next best friend that I just met. And I think wow. that's the kind of spirit that draws people in. If you start, I got a question by Paul because I hear that myself a lot of times. Well, how do you fit in? And that that puts a wedge in my mind that there should be something wrong. And there shouldn't. The difference is I, I believe that Paul should wonder why he fits in, not why Daniel fits in. And, you know, like I have a an adversarial type thinking with that because it, I've heard it so many times. And if you want to make someone feel separate or isolated, ask them questions like that all the time. And then they start to think, well, maybe I should feel different. Mm. Like, um, I believe that what we should do is what Christ said, look at each person with a childlike faith and welcome them, offer them something to drink, give them a place to sit and Introduce them to as many people as you can, because if they're going to acclimate, that's going to do it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And I think Jesus actually said something like that, right? Said that we're we're to do to others as you would have them do to us. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And uh, he was a beautiful example of hospitality too. So uh, overcoming those walls that, you know, culture it put in place. So yeah, good. I really appreciate that, Patrick. Thanks for the perspective. Okay. Um, any other questions here? You got to be quick. If you're going to ask one. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on uh, this early in the morning. I know that, you know, you're like, oh, my. Uh, six o'clock on a Saturday morning. <laughs> um, and speak, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, not the easiest thing to do. So thanks for coming on here this morning and, and sharing. I really appreciate all that you share. One thing, Paul, I'm yeah. sorry it seemed like I threw you under the bus. I didn't mean to, brother. Yeah, yeah, no, that's all right. <laughs> I, I, I just, I asked the question because I have, uh, I've had uh, uh, my own experiences and struggles and uh, so on with, with fitting in. And uh, it's fairly well known that many, uh, you know, Anabaptist churches, whether Amish or Mennonite or Brethren or, or whatever it may be, um, they have uh, somewhat of a uh, unique culture to them, and it's very hard for uh, someone who did not uh, grow up in their particular culture to to fit in. I mean that that's fairly well known. So uh, so I I asked that more uh, more uh, well for myself even, or, and also for uh, for us to be more aware that uh, not everybody that wants to follow Jesus uh, is necessarily going to feel comfortable with uh, the, the hundreds of years, years of tradition that we have accumulated. Next year, sometime, I don't remember what the date is, we're, um, Chambersburg Christian Fellowship is helping sponsor through Ernest Eby, the um, Seekers Gathering at Penn Valley. I'm sure it will be on the wire at some point, but Basically, Chambersburg has made it a point to reach out to disenfranchise. If they accept me, <laughs> they accept anybody. No, seriously. And I don't mean that in a wrong way. But Chambersburg has made an effort to take in the blind, the crippled, and the crazy. And I don't mean that don't bring all these wheelchair people but they're bringing people in with different backgrounds that are truly seeking. So as things go on, I'm sure just keep looking at uh, Seekers Conference at Penn Valley, Penn Valley next year. I ask you, you're welcome to come. And you might experience yeah. some of what me and Daniel and da Danny Weeks have experienced in, in, um, in a plain church. I don't think, Dan, do we, do we do that to people, make them feel separate? Come on, Dan. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Um, I, I, I had a marvelous sense of welcome when I started to come. Just And you're part of it. Um, uh, I wanted to chime in, and I didn't, but you have a gift of conviviality. And uh, <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. No, I didn't, I didn't have much of a problem. I, I felt welcome. What more can I say? Okay, Leo. Not only that, it was just fun. I mean, it was it was pleasant to, uh, uh, particularly the fellowship meals that we used to have downstairs yeah. in in the old building. Uh, just I just look forward to that. It was just the highlight of my week. Leo Eby just pulled off, but 
The first time I met him, me and him had a wrestling match, and I ended up on the floor. <laughs> he's Leo's back on here. He's he's, he's yeah. laughing about that. I mean, like I got a, a whole host of stories who have made me welcome, but it's my the way I walk into it, and I know I seem negative sometimes, Daniel and and Brian and the people that know me. I suffer with discouragement, but the fact that most people, if I carry that that feeling of welcome and and and, and connectivity and just you're the, my next best friend that I just met, it seems to work out. I'll shut up. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we should all like not Chambersburg uh, is that that's great. That's uh, I'm uh, praise the Lord for that. I uh, uh, we we should all learn. And uh, uh, the the thing is, is uh, many uh, many and perhaps most Anabaptist churches have uh, really something uh, much to learn in that area. Um, and uh, I, I I I hope we can all strive uh, towards that. And uh, you know, I know other churches such as uh, such as Followers of the Way maybe is much less that way uh, than uh, than many you know Anabaptist churches. So we we really need to strive to uh, follow uh, follow Jesus and make others who want to follow Jesus feel welcome and not uh, put a lot of cultural expectations on people that um, that uh, are, are are unnecessary. So you want to learn from somebody that really. Gives this feeling, Lloyd Troyer. If you want to meet somebody that really brings love, Lloyd has five of the most diametrically different people. I mean, these guys are sending sparks off in the, in our in our culture, and he somehow binds them together and keeps them from imploding. <laughs> Go meet Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brother Patrick. Good question, Paul. Good discussion here, brothers. Uh, wow, it gets good after it's get, it gets good after seven o'clock, as everyone knows there on the, on the, on the in the recording. So, all right. Um, well, it is it is quarter after. We should be shutting this down here, um, but so we can keep on rolling. And maybe we need to kind of circle back to some topics along this line um, of of advancing the kingdom and what that should look like. So, Patrick and Daniel, I really appreciate your thoughts here, and Dan Weeks as well. Uh, know that that uh, that was very welcomed and appreciated. We need brothers like you to uh, kick us out of the nest and and um, and really um, prod us on for sure. Uh, Daniel, could you just close us with prayer here? Yeah. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we need you, and um, we have a lot of mistakes that and you know about them and we we ask for your wisdom and we ask you to help us to be better people of peace and to um be bible translators to translate uh your word and the flesh as you did Amen. and um uh, to learn to love people and to live selfless um and to always think of others as better than ourselves and to be always forgiving others and be merciful and kind. And um, we need your help with all that. And when 
uh, when our sinful flesh uh, comes rearing up, um, help us put it to death and help us cling to you and all of your teachings and to the brotherhood and um, be obedient children of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you again, Daniel. And yeah, welcome back here next next Saturday morning. Uh, David Adams is a brother from Boston, part of a small house church there. Um, I'm forgetting the name of their house church. He'd be, he would be part of the same congregation as... Um, hmm. Chuck Pike. Thank you. Thank you. That's Chuck Pike. Uh, he'd be share, he's going to be sharing next week here on on our theme that we have rolling on on king and country is a theme and uh, his segment is uh, the king's stories so I look forward to seeing you back here next Saturday God bless your day goodbye as iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend